The rest of us this morning are going to be in Colossians chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn to the New Testament and turn to the book of Colossians. If you're new to the Bible, perhaps we just gave you one this morning. You can find a table of contents and you can find a book called Colossians. It begins with a C and you can find Colossians 1. As you are turning there, I want to begin this morning by asking you a couple of questions about your prayer life. Simple questions, maybe a little troubling the more you think about them. First question would be, what do you pray for when you pray for other people most? What is the priority in your prayer life, specifically when you pray for believers? Let's turn it around a little bit differently. If you could solicit others to pray for you about anything, what would it be? Those two questions are another way of me asking, what is most important to you in your life? Is it your job? As good and important as that is, and it should be used to glorify God. Is it your family? As good and important as that is, and should be used to glorify God. Is it your health? As good and important as that is, and it should be used to glorify God. And the list could go on. What we will see this morning, and I certainly have a pastoral agenda, let's just be honest. What we will see this morning is a great reminder to us of where our priority should be when we pray for other believers. And we will see that the priority for the Apostle Paul, at least in this prayer, but I will submit to you in most, if not all of his prayers, is this. Spiritual maturity. Spiritual growth. So my pastoral agenda today is not to try to get you to stop praying for the other things. Jesus encouraged His followers in prayer to pray even for the very small things we typically take for granted, like daily bread. Pray for those things. We, we, we do see biblical examples of praying for health. We do see biblical examples of praying for everything, really, because then we give God the glory when He provides in these certain areas. But we do definitely see an emphasis, a priority, if you will, when it comes to praying for believers, given to praying for maturity, praying for growth. And Paul was a great example in Colossians 1, not because we particularly like Paul, not because he really seems to have it together. No, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, here's why he is a great example for us when it says in 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. If he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, he represents Jesus Christ with Christ's authority. Ah, therefore... What he prays for is a great model, a great example, because he is more than just Mr. Christian. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. So I take special note of how someone like him prays. So I hope, by the grace of God, by us looking at this prayer today, it will impact our prayer lives. 
again, I, I don't want to miss the opportunity to emphasize. I'm not trying to encourage you to stop praying for health, to stop praying for your job situation, to stop praying for your family. I'm not trying to do any of that. But I am trying to encourage you as we hear what we pray about, trying to encourage you to, to make sure you're praying for the things the Bible emphasizes. I appreciate the fact that you might pray for me when I'm sick. That's good. That's biblical. Thank you. Appreciate you might pray for someone else when they're in between jobs. That's true for some of you. That's good, and I know you appreciate that. But above all other things, at the end of the day, it's about growing spiritually. It's about knowing Christ better. It's about depending upon Him. And the way we're praying for each other as a church, the way we're praying for each other as individuals, as we're growing spiritually, our prayer life should look a lot more like this kind of prayer. So that's the motivation. That's what we're aiming at, that we would have our priorities straight. There are a couple of, of significant components in this prayer. I'll name two of them if you'd like to have an outline. This morning we'll look at two components of spiritual maturity that Paul prays for. Two necessary components to spiritual maturity that therefore need to be prayed for. If you're going to grow spiritually, you must have this component, A. You must have this component, B. If you're going to grow spiritually, Paul prays for both of those components, and they are as follows. Number one, he prays for believers to be increasing in knowledge. Increasing in knowledge. That's a key to spiritual growth. The second component he prays for is increase in spiritual action, behavior, fruit, action. So we've got knowledge increasing if we're going to grow spiritually, and we also have our action that follows the knowledge, also a key to growing spiritually. We see the first one in verse 9, and we see the second one in verses 10 to 14. I suppose I should just make a confession too. I'm troubled that my prayer life doesn't look like this. I've got work to do in my life. I'm, I've forgotten this emphasis, if you will. I need to be praying. I need to have my Bible open and I need to be praying when I'm praying for you. I need to be praying through Colossians 1. I would suggest that you need to be praying, at least till you get your mind wired right, praying through Colossians 1 when you pray for other people and when you pray for me, so that we would have our priorities straight in the things that we consider to be the very most important. Let's jump right in in verse 9 and sort of see the introductory details. If you look with me, you'll see he says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it... It referring to what he's already been talking about. He's been talking about how great it is that they have become believers. So the it there would refer back to verses 3 to 8, which is talking about their faith in Christ Jesus, such as in verse 4. So he says, For this reason also, since the day I heard of your conversion, since the day I heard that you folks had become believers, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not stopped praying for you. And then he's going to say, basically, we haven't stopped praying for your growth. And before we get into to the first one, I just have to say that right there is encouraging to me. 
How, how would you have liked to, be, to have been on the, recipient, the receiving side of this letter and to hear the Apostle Paul say, ever since I heard you beca- you'd become a Christian, it's been a priority in my life to pray for you to grow spiritually. That's encouraging to me, and I'm not even from Colossae. I'm thinking, that's, that's pretty good. That, that, that tells me that maybe that's how I should talk to other people. That, that tells me that I would love for other people to say that about me. You know, ever since I heard you became a Christian, you'd become a Christian, I've been praying for you. That's, that, that's good. There's something to learn right away, even from that. And then we come to that first component for spiritual growth that he prays about as a priority, and that's knowledge. If you look in verse 9 where he goes on, you'll see that he says, And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding i.e., that you would know the truth. That you'd be filled up with the truth. He uses a great grand image. If you're filled up with something, you're controlled by something. If someone is, is filled with rage, we know what it's talking about. They're consumed with rage. Well, here he's saying, I'm praying that you'll be filled up as a believer. My aim for you is you'll be filled up with, what does he say there? The knowledge of his will, the knowledge of the will of God. We could insert synonyms there, the truth, the truth about Christ, the truth about God, the truth about, it's the truth. You'd be consumed, you'd be filled up with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's never forget, folks, that while Christianity is more than what we know, it's not less than what we know. Christianity is cognitive. Christianity has to do with knowing. Spiritual growth has to do with knowing. It's not that there isn't a place for emotion. God doesn't save part of us, our intellectual side. He saves us. That's why, like in Romans 12, we've been seeing in recent days, He calls us to give our bodies, all of us, to glorifying Him. So, so please don't misunderstand. It includes our emotion. Please don't misunderstand. It's not like you have to be an intellectual giant to grow spiritually. No, children can grow spiritually. But, but, but don't miss the fact that He certainly is calling for knowledge to grow spiritually. that you would have increased knowledge of the will of God. But he doesn't just say knowledge. Isn't it interesting how he says knowledge first and, and then he talks about spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's covering his bases. That you would have increased knowledge in your mind and then the practice of that knowledge, how you put that into practice in your life. The spiritual wisdom, the spiritual understanding, how you're going to execute that knowledge, how you're going to live in light of that knowledge. He's covering both. He's including the practical in this. Many have suggested, and I think they're absolutely right, that Paul is more than likely borrowing some of the verbiage from the false teachers who were trying to sneak into the church at Colossae. And what they were suggesting was, oh, sure, Jesus is good. We're not going to deny that. You can have your Savior. Yes, He died. Yes, He rose again from the dead. That's all fine. But you know what? You know, it's like that person who's, who's a drug dealer or trying to, to, to make a shady deal. Psst. You know, it's a secret. Come over here. These false teachers were, in effect, saying that. Hey, i got a secret for you. That, that Jesus, yeah, that's, all, that's, that's good. That's fine. 
But if you really, really want to be spiritual, and if you really want to grow, we've got something for you. We've got a special kind of wisdom. We've got a special kind of knowledge. And you've got to have this. This is the key for you. I think this is why Paul specifically uses words like knowledge and wisdom. He uses wisdom over and over again as if to say, you know what, don't listen to them. We're talking about the, the truth, the truth of God's will and, and true wisdom that is found only in Christ would be the context of Colossians. Look at Colossians 2.23 where this comes up in one particular instance where he says these matters in verse, chapter 2, verse 23, these are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom those spiritual drug dealers, if you will, who are saying, come over here. We've got the key to your success. In self-made religion, in self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, these ascetics, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence, Paul says. A lot of this letter is countering that way of thinking that you need Christ plus. And Paul's saying, you know what I'm praying for you? I'm praying that you would be increasing in the knowledge of His will. The word he uses for knowledge is the word that most of the time in the New Testament is referencing knowledge of Scripture, knowledge specifically of God. I'm praying that you'd be filled up with truth, the true knowledge of His will. And I'm praying that you'd be filled up with all spiritual wisdom and understanding as opposed to what that stuff is they're trying to peddle on you. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that That kind of stuff has been going on for a long time, even since then. Maybe it doesn't look quite the same, but certainly it's peddled. It's as if to say, you know, that's fine, you're a Christian, and I understand, you know, you believe in the truth about Jesus, but you know, if you really want to grow spiritually, have I got a book for you. For 1995, Plus shipping and handling. Call now. Operators are standing by. Sign up for our special seminar, our crusade, and boy, then you will have the real knowledge, the secret. It's been going on for a long time. It was going on before this. It's going on still now. It's not the key, folks. The unbelievers who own the publishing companies want you to think it's the key. That's not the key. We shouldn't all get excited as a church. You know what? Let's just wait for the next great movement to come along and then we're all going to grow spiritually as a church and we'll get the banners and we'll get boxes of the book and we'll all get excited and boy, then we're really going to grow spiritually. You ready? How about if someone just stands by on all the publishers' websites just waiting for the next new wave so we can catch it and maybe we can just wait on Amazon.com for special discounts. That's kind of how we act. It's not that different from what was going on back then. It was the, got a secret. Yeah, the Bible's fine. Christ is fine. But we have the special knowledge. And Paul is taking the giant floodlight of, of truth and saying, exposed. And he's saying, I'm praying for you. My devotion to God on your behalf is aimed at this, not the next thing to help you to grow spiritually. It is aimed that you would be increasing, you'd be filled up with the knowledge of His will. 
That you'd know the truth and you would know how to apply that wisely. That's the key. And therefore, folks, that's how we should be praying for each other. That's how we should be praying for each other. That's how I would want you to pray for me. Just pray Colossians 1 for me. You want to know, you want to know how to pray for your pastor? I know how to pray for you. I'm asking you to pray for me the same way. Not that we don't pray for other things too, but it would be great for us. It would be for us to have our own little spiritual reformation as a church. That we would make this kind of praying a prayer priority so that we would be growing spiritually so that Christ could be exalted and honored. This is great stuff. This is great stuff. And sure, back then they probably would have said, Oh, you foolish simpletons. People say it now. Well, Paul the Apostle is praying this way. Certainly it was right then. I would suggest to you that it is right now. Just one more thing before we move on to the second component, which we'll need to give a little bit more attention to. That statement in verse 9 is assuming something, I think. It's, it's not Paul saying, oh yeah, what I'm praying for you is that you'll be increasing in the knowledge of His will and all spiritual understanding and you'll be filled up with that and somehow that can happen in isolation from everything else. That's assuming that they're exposed to God's will. That's assuming that they're exposed to the Bible. That's assuming they're exposed to preaching. That's assuming they're exposed to teaching. That's assuming that they're exposed to the hearing of God's Word. And so by way of application, let's make sure that we're not somehow praying, 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 God, please help, please help. Have us be uh, filled with and uh, filled with uh, the ever-increasing knowledge of Your will and increasing in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and never do anything to somehow be exposing ourselves to the truth. Yeah, let's pray this way, but let's open our Bibles so that we could be increasing. Uh, let's be studying our Bibles privately. Let's be reading our Bibles privately. Let's be insisting upon the preaching of God's Word. Let's be meeting together and discussing these things so that we can, in fact, wed, if you will, this prayer with the means God would use to answer the prayer. Well, let's move on to the second component to spiritual maturity in this prayer, which has got to be a prayer mandate for us, and that is spiritual action. Look at verse 10 with me. So that, I'm I'm praying this for you, so that with this in view, with this aim, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects. There's the aim. No, I don't want you all just to become fat-headed. I don't want you all just to know a lot and to know more than the false teachers and you can sure be a good debater. No, I was praying what I was praying in verse 9 with an aim and the aim is so you can do the right thing. He uses that walk metaphor so that your actions would be the right actions. You could be acting like someone who is spiritually mature, someone who is a doer of the Word, not just a hearer, as James 1.22 would say to us. It's not enough to just learn the grand truths of the faith and to fill our minds with the great truth about Jesus Christ and His great work as our great, great victorious Savior and to learn, 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 learn. Oh, yes, we must. That's verse 9. That translates into our action. It translates into us doing the right thing. 
And he's praying for both. He's praying for both of those things. This is a good time for me to take a breath and, and to hopefully look some of you in the eye at least and, and to just ask you, do you, do you pray like this? You could catalog your prayer life. Are you regularly praying for people to be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Ever increasing in spiritual wisdom and understanding? And then with that aiming toward their walk being pleasing to God, their conduct being pleasing to God and everything that they do? My ultimate goal isn't to lay some giant guilt trip on any of us, and I'll include myself. But it doesn't take a lot of looking around and listening to figure out a lot of us don't pray this way. A lot of us spend lots of time praying for lots of other things. Great, great to pray. But this has got to be a priority for us. And I would suggest to you in a practical way, on a practical basis, it's not that complicated. Maybe in the next week, month, year, just open your Bible when you're praying for people. And There are lots of other prayers in the Bible you could use as examples. I would commend them to you, but you know, it's good to just get started at least. Start by opening your Bible to Colossians 1 every time you pray. And before you know it, you start inserting people's names in here and you're going to be praying for the right thing. In addition, you'll be praying for them and for their health and for other items, certainly. That's good. That's right. But those things are not the things that were consuming Paul. You know, sometimes we pray as if uh, God has told us in His Word that His ultimate desire for us as believers is to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. It's providential that we read Genesis 3 this morning. We live in a fallen world. We live in a messed up world. God's ultimate desire for you as a believer is not to be healthy, not to be wealthy, not to be happy. Ultimate desire as a believer for you as a believer is for you to grow spiritually, which would include a lot of other things. This is such a good reminder for me. Maybe I'm just preaching the sermon for me. I'm glad the rest of you are all so spiritually mature that you could have done something else this morning. I'm afraid that too often I pray like a pagan. I'll just be frank. I pray like somebody who thinks God's ultimate desire is for me to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. It doesn't even make sense from the early chapters of Genesis on. Oh yes, I suppose you could say ultimately in the end we will be healthy and we will be happy and we will be wealthy. Okay, fair enough. But not this side of eternity. 
Well, he fleshes this out some more. I, this is the obvious. We, we've seen everything that we really need to see that's obvious. Okay, number one, you've got to be increasing in knowledge and wisdom, and then that's followed by you're doing the right thing. This is how we should be praying for each other. But as far as doing the right thing is concerned, he, he fleshes it out a little bit more, and he gives us some, some real examples or pictures of what this right walk, this right conduct is supposed to look like. And we don't want to overlook those. For those of you who are interested in grammar uh, and things like that, and in this case it's, it's particularly uh, noteworthy, what he does in, in the verses in verse 10 and uh, below, 10 to 14, he gives four participles, and those explain the walk. They, they, they flesh this out and they show us what our walk is supposed to be like, what our conduct is supposed to be like. Uh, they are as follows, and we'll look at each one of them. Bearing fruit. Your walk is supposed to be a walk that is bearing fruit. It's to be increasing, and we'll look, at see what, look and see what it's increasing in. Uh, strengthen, the NAS says. The NIV supplies the word being, and that's correct. Being strengthened. And then that fourth one is giving thanks. So he's going to show us a little bit what, more about what he means by this walk. Bearing fruit, one. Increasing, two. Being strengthened, three. And giving thanks, for. So as we're learning how to pray for each other, we're also going to be praying for these things as we're praying for right conduct. Look with me, if you would, at verse 10. Bearing fruit in, in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. Okay, how do you pray for me? How do I pray for you? Well, as I'm praying for you to do the right thing, since you know the right thing, one of the specifics is you can be praying for me that I would be bearing fruit. And I could be praying for you that you would be bearing fruit. And this is synonymous in the New Testament for obedience, for doing the right thing. Unlike every other religion in the world that says you do the right thing to get into God's family, the Bible uses this fruit picture, which is way better, and it's right. That is, because you're in God's family, because you are a genuine fruit tree, if you will, as a believer, you will bear fruit. You'll do what a fruit tree is supposed to do. And so what's supposed to be happening in Christians' lives? They're supposed to be bearing fruit in light of what they know. Well, that's what we're supposed to be praying for. Paul was praying that for the Colossian believers. I want you to pray that for me. I want to pray that for you, that you'd be a fruit-bearing Christian. And it's not just fruit-bearing. He even makes it intense. Did you see there in verse 10? In every good work. So it's not enough for me to pray that you would really be bearing fruit when it comes to serving in the local church. That's great. I'm going to include that. But notice what he says. In every good work. So now, all of a sudden, I can pray for every aspect of your life. Whether it be how you handle work, or how you handle your family, or how you handle service, how you handle anything. I can be praying for you. You can be praying for me. We can be praying for each other. That we would be people marked by fruit-bearing obedience to Jesus Christ. Because we belong to Him by His grace. In every good work, so it's intense and it's exhaustive. He goes on to, to flesh this out a little bit more with this next participle, defining our walk. He says, verse 10, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now I scratch my head for a second and think, that sounds strangely familiar. Look at verse 9 and you see toward the end there, increase, uh, filled with the knowledge of His will, and now, increasing in the knowledge of God. He's essentially saying the same thing. Which at first is kind of weird when you think and you try to make everything so nice and neat. Well, we're supposed to, we're supposed to be increasing in the knowledge of His will. 
That's the knowledge part. And then we're supposed to do the right thing. But then in the doing the right thing section, he says increasing in the knowledge of God, which sounds a lot like the first. That's why I would submit to you, you can't separate them. Really, you can't separate the theological, if you will, from the practical because in effect, he's now putting the theological stuff in the practical section because they're inseparable. Which would go to the argument that says the theology is practical. Let me ask you again the hard question. When was the last time you prayed for someone and prayed that they would be increasing in the knowledge of God? We should be praying like that. They would be increasing in the knowledge of God. You say, what good will that do? How is that practical? It's in the practical section. Well, increasing in the knowledge of God the Savior and His great atoning work on our behalf. And if I really understand that to any degree really at all, it's going to have all kinds of practical effects in my life. I'm not just going to be getting a fat head. The more I understand the great work and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and I understand the great forgiveness that is provided for me through Him, the practical side of that is I can forgive anyone any sin against me because they all pale in comparison. The practical side of increasing in the knowledge of God, my Savior would be, if I have any comprehension of that whatsoever... I know how to love my wife. Ephesians 5. If I'm increasing in the knowledge of God, my Savior, in any degree at all, I understand what it means given the fact that He bought His church with His blood, how I should be responding and reacting and caring for those who belong to His church. See, it affects the one another. If I understand anything of the magnitude and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God my Savior and the great love which He showed in dying in my place for me, the unlovely one, I can love other people who I think are unlovely because I myself am unlovely. Oh, conclusion? And we can keep going, right? Conclusion? This does belong in the practical part. Because it is tremendously practical. Increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, in that sense, I, that's, what, that's why I, I would love it if, if we would all be, and we would all be good theologians. Sometimes that word has a bad connotation. But you know what? The fact of the matter is everyone is a theologian because everyone thinks something about God. But I could put this in a little bit different verbiage and say, you know, my prayer is that every believer at Omaha Bible Church would be becoming a better and better theologian. Why? Because they're increasing in their knowledge of God and as that occurs, it transforms their life and gives glory to God ultimately in the end. This is what we want. And I completely and wholeheartedly reject the lie that says, but that's not practical. It's in the practical section of his prayer. It's tremendously practical. It's the key to me loving you and to you loving me. 
It's the key to us doing the right thing and glorifying Christ. I like what W.H., giving back to the text, I like what W.H. Griffith Thomas said so many years ago regarding verse 10 at the end, increasing in the knowledge of God, realizing that that's repetition from verse 9. He said, we are to know in order that we may do, in order that we may know still more. That's what Paul's doing. And then he says, so that we not only discover His will, but actually get to know Him. If you would please pray for me to be increasing in the knowledge of God, I would even say, if there's nothing else you're going to pray for me, if you would just pray that, I would really, I would pay you. (laughs) No, I wouldn't, because then I would somehow know that it was all shenanigans and it wouldn't be true prayer. There are other things I would like you to pray for, for me. You know what? If you forget everything else, if you'd pray that I would be increasing in the knowledge of God, that would be wonderful because we know that if I'm increasing in the knowledge of God, my Savior, and all that He has done, that will affect my life and all the other areas too. We know that because otherwise Paul wouldn't be putting it in the practical section here. Let's move on to another one of those participles explaining what he means by the right walk. In verse 11, it says, being, I'm going to insert that word in the New American Standard if that's what you're using, but it's literally there. Being strengthened. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Again, I'll confess to you, I don't pray that way for you. I should. We should pray that way for each other. Maybe we don't have to use those exact words. Maybe I can point out to you what this is getting at so you'll be so impressed that you'll start praying this way for yourself, maybe for others as well. And I can pray this way for you. Being strengthened with all power, literally empowered with all power, you're going to have this magnificent, amazing power according to His glorious might. This is God's power. Interestingly enough, it's passive because this isn't some power that comes from within you. Therefore, you must pray for it that you could be empowered by some external power that's going to give you ability. So it's something we have to pray for. And then did you see where he says, according to His glorious might? Word for might there, used in the New Testament, only ever of God's power. So what we're doing is, is, is we're praying that God would empower us, but what is He going to empower us with? Some sort of self-derived strength? No. God, give us power and give us Your power, your, your, your supernatural power, Your effectual power, Your power that cannot be stopped. God, give us that. And why? Look, look at verse 11. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And now it starts to get really good. So, so here it is. That God would be giving us the supernatural power that only comes from Him that is powerful enough to do anything. It's unstoppable power. God, give us this power. Give us this power, God. Why? Verse 11, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Steadfastness used here in relationship to circumstances. Steadfastness 
in relationship to circumstances. Patience used in this text used in relationship to people. Don't check out on me. This is good stuff right here. I realize some translations translate it a bit differently, but just for the sake of explaining this, we're going to get God's power so that we can be steadfast and patient. Steadfast in relationship to circumstances. I know that it's in relationship to circumstances uh, based upon the way that the word is used. By the way, this word, interestingly enough, is never used of God. You know why? Not that God isn't steadfast. This word is never used in relationship to God because God never faces difficult circumstances. Because he's all-powerful and he's God. That's for free, but it's pretty cool to think about it. Anyway... We're going to ask on behalf of others and on behalf of ourselves that God would give us His supernatural power so we can be steadfast and so we can be patient. In other words, so we can face anything in life. Think about that. You fill in the blank. You want to put cancer in the blank? Put it in the blank. You want to put infidelity in the blank? Put it in the blank. You want to put in your best friend being an apostate? Put it in the blank. God, give me your supernatural power that can only come from you, that is always effectual, so I can be steadfast against any circumstance you could ever allow to be in my life. That's worth praying. Isn't it? Isn't it good? We need that kind of praying because, again, Genesis 3 is real. We need that kind of praying for each other. Sure, pray that when I have a doctor's appointment that, that, that it wouldn't be cancerous. You know, and that it would be, the as they say at the doctor, well, you have the good kind of cancer if you're going to have it. Great. But, you know, many people have it turned into the bad kind of cancer. Great. You know what? I would love it if you would pray that it would just all go away. But you know what? Don't invest too many breaths in praying that way. Would you please pray that God would give me His supernatural power that is always effectual, that would allow me to be steadfast against any circumstance to be able to deal with anything. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to croak. Right? This is how it goes. But not only can we face any circumstance, we can face any kind of person. That's the patience. God, give me your supernatural power that is always effectual so I can be patient. And it would seem here, based upon the word that he's already used, he's dealing with people now. So I can deal with false teachers. So you can deal with false teachers. So I can deal with complainers who seem to have a spiritual gift. Not. <laughs> so you can deal with complainers. So you can deal with, you know, Joe Schmo Krabby Appleton, the third. I mean, you can face any kind of person. God, give us your supernatural power that is always effectual so we can deal with any kind of people. 
because people are tough. You know the old saying, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people. Amen. (laughs) How true it is. You know what? Life would be great if it weren't for the people. Wouldn't be life. We just need to pray differently. We probably need to spend less time asking for God to take the people out of our life, although sometimes he does that. I'm not saying it's wrong to pray that. It's not wrong to pray that God would take the circumstance out. He does that sometimes. We pray that way. But it's not the only way we should pray. And he gives one last participle to explain what our walk is supposed to look like so we can know how to pray for each other. I think the end of verse 11, joyously, should go with verse 12. We added the verse breaks, remember, for the sake of simplicity. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. Now, I I don't want to be so artificial as to say somehow that's not connected to what just came before, the people and the circumstance. No doubt it's connected. But part of what our worthy walk is supposed to look like as Christians is we're just constantly giving giving thanks to God. And again, I ask you, because it's convicting, do you regularly pray for other people that they would be joyously giving thanks to God? I need to add that to my regular prayer requests. To pray for my friends, Lord, just just help him to be joyously giving thanks to you as a part of his regular walk with you. Just shows they're spiritually mature. I'm thankful to my father for drilling something in my mind, and I've been so kind to my kids to pass it on to them. My dad always used to say, it never costs you any more to say please and thank you. And if there's one thing I would get in trouble for with my father is if we didn't say please and if we didn't say thank you. And it was one thing in our house, but then in public, if you didn't say please or you didn't say thank you, you were in trouble. You guys are in trouble when you don't say it, aren't you? Yeah, please and thank you all the time. It's just a good thing. But you know what? That isn't what this is talking about. We as Christians should be constantly, joyously giving thanks to God in our spiritual growth and maturity. Therefore, we should be praying it for other believers for a specific reason. Let's look in the text here. We of all people should be tremendously thankful people. In verse 12, why are we joyously giving thanks to the Father? It says in verse 12, who has qualified us. Notice that it's passive. God has done something for us in salvation. It's all of grace. Who has qualified us. He did it. To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Yeah, we're children of darkness, and now all of a sudden, spiritually, we're in light. And then in verse 13, he, for He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. This is something, He's done all of this. This isn't a partnership. It isn't cooperation. It's all God acting. It's all grace. And then, ultimately, aiming at verse 14, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of our sins. That's what the thankfulness is tied to. 
It's tied to the cross. It's tied to redemption. It's tied to forgiveness. It's tied to God in Christ for us, making us, taking us from being children of darkness, hell-deserving sinners, and making us children of light, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Folks, we of all people should be very, very all the time joyously giving thanks to the Father because He saved us against our will. Right? Oh, this is great! This is great! This is exactly what Christianity and living the Christian life should be fueled by. I think that's why He ends with it. He ends with it on the highest point imaginable. And again, let me remind you, even if it's convicting, that we need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for each other that we would have our minds so riveted on the cross work of Christ and what He has done there for us, not with us, for us, that we would be constantly giving thanks, joyously giving thanks. That's a sign of a person who's growing spiritually. Isn't that good? So good. But again, I beg of you to add this kind of praying to your praying. Pray this way. If we could be praying this way for each other as believers in this local church, it would be phenomenal. Listen to how you pray. And I don't want us to all become like, you know, ultra pharisaical and criticizing everybody. What are you doing? Praying for, you know, unspiritual things. Let's not do that. But just listen. You know, one thing that's convicting is to to listen to, to your children pray if you have children. You know why it's so convicting to me sometimes? It's because I know where they've learned to pray. When it's always about the physical stuff. What it tells me is not that I need to sit them down and tell them to start praying for spiritual things and not just physical things. What it tells me is I need to clean up my prayer life. Because I'm the one really who's teaching them how to pray. Our priority is not here. It's not in this world. It's not to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. It's to be growing as believers in Christ for the glory of our great Savior. And the way we pray should look like that. That's all. So let's have a a spiritual reformation of prayer. And pray differently. That's what I'm, I'm aiming at. That's what I'm praying that this would happen for us as a church. Pray with me now if you would. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for us, for the opportunity we have had to, to ask ourselves that question, how do we pray? And Lord, we are, we are thankful that we have instruction from your word that we're to pray without ceasing all of the time. We're to pray for all different sorts of things. And yet it is unmistakable when we read your word in this case, when we read the, the prayers of the Apostle Paul, that the definite priority has to do with spiritual growth for believers. And Lord, we want our prayer lives to look like that. Not because it will somehow be magical, 
but because we want our priorities to be straight. We want them to be right. Because in the end, we know that it will glorify You. It will exalt Christ. And we would ask that that would be so. Lord, thank You from, for this Word from Your Word today. Use it by the power of Your Holy Spirit to make a huge difference in our lives for the glory of Christ. Amen.